And you've started to wonder, after such a long time, how do I continue to grow as a disciple of Christ? Perhaps you've particularly been working on this year, growing in your spiritual life, but you haven't actually seen much improvement. Perhaps you don't even think about it that much, and you just expect to grow naturally as a Christian by hanging around other Christians as well. Or if you're a fairly new Christian, you've started to walk the life as a Christian, but you're starting to think, what else do I need to do? Well, here in this passage, I think Paul answers that question, and we're going to delve into that. And I think Paul answers that and addresses it because they are being misled and following a different gospel. The first thing that Paul states here is that we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. We see this particularly in his rhetorical question in verse 2. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After by beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? In these questions, I think Paul is trying to urge the Galatians that they have originally, when they, how they were originally became Christians, trying to remind them of that and showing them how they're living their life now. He suggests that they're actually abandoning the spirit, which they were initially convicted of and what changed their hearts to know and love God. We can see that in the first verse. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, it's unlikely that the Galatians actually saw Jesus' crucifixion, and we know that because they lived quite a fair way from Jerusalem where Jesus was killed. But what Paul is trying to say here, that what, when they heard the good news for the first time, they really did believe it. They had no doubt. And it was as if what happened on the cross, they actually saw with their own eyes. They accepted the gospel, they had faith, and received the Spirit, which transformed their lives and as they became Christians. It was the Spirit that this, did this, and it's why Paul asks in verse 3, After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The implication of this is that they're trying to turn to other things and no longer relying on the Spirit to make them more righteous like Christ. Instead, they're turning to things like the Jewish law, which was being imposed to them as Gentiles. Part of the reason why they were turning to these things and practices was there's a strong Jewish group that started teaching the Galatians these things and saying that they needed to follow this law in order to become actual Christians. In the chapter before, we see uh, an, an, a witness of this, an example, and where Peter starts acting in the same way. Turn back with me to the chapter before, in verse 12. For before, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those belonging to the circumcision group and that being the Jewish teachers. And Paul rebukes this in verse 14. When I saw they were not in, acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, also known as Peter, in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? 
Now, these Jewish customs included things from what we read in the first five books of the Bible. The law includes like, uh, things like the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses, but also other things that helped enforce those rules. And particularly in this case, circumcision and eating of special foods was of a particular problem. They were beginning to believe in this new gospel that required them to follow a list of laws to please God. In my own life, I can think of a time when I was acting similar to the Galatians. This was mostly during my college years. And while I was a Christian before then, the way I tried to live my life was trying as hard as I could to do the good things that I'd been told to do. While sometimes I did impress people doing this, and in my own mind impressing God, most of the time it was actually really hard work trying to keep that up. Now, I did have faith, and I knew this because I'd acknowledged Jesus as my saviour, and I could see the way that the Spirit was already working in my life in other ways. But I didn't seek to live by it. I was not allowing the Spirit to effectively grow in me righteousness, and I was trying to do it all myself. So it's actually really important that we understand how the Spirit, that we already have the Spirit, because otherwise we'll start living a life contrary to what God wants. Instead, we'll start ignoring the Spirit and we'll even, might even misunderstand it of how we receive him. Without the Spirit, we'd most definitely start to look for other things to help us and start to rely on our own strength to do good. The law or any other way than living by the Spirit is completely powerless to transform us into Christ-likeness. Now, yes, you could eat the right kinds of meats or you could fast for long periods of time. You could read your Bible every single day or anything like that. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. But if we're trying to do that and we're expecting that we'll please God in doing that, making ourselves righteous, then you are foolish. It's not going to work. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians and us. You are a complete and utter fool. God is not concerned about your routines or practices or any other good things you might do. What he wants you to do is to humbly submit to him, accept his spirit, and listen to what he says. God putting his spirit in us is the only way we can become righteous and acceptable before God. And it is an encouragement to the Christian who has received and is living by the Spirit. It brings assurance of salvation as you start to see all the different good things that God is doing in your life. It brings much joy and a new freeing way to live because you don't have to rely on your own righteousness. So we need to make sure that we live with this special gift of grace that we've received. Otherwise, we'll misunderstand the gospel like the Galatians did. We'll grieve the Spirit, trying to please God ourselves in all the wrong ways. So we know it's by the Spirit that we live for God and become more like Him. But how do we actually receive the Spirit and continue in that? Paul says that it is by faith that the Spirit comes and not by obedience. He explains this by giving another example from Israel's history, the man of Abraham. 
It says in verse 6, So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it's not just because of Abraham's faith that he's mentioned here. Have a look again in verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So Paul refers back to Genesis where we see the great promise given to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. As he explains, the Gentiles also were included in this promise and part of the gospel plan for God to save people from all nations. But what is the blessing that God promised through Abraham? It is the Spirit itself. And we can see that in verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It is by faith that we receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, while the Spirit had come upon selected people throughout history, this promise to Abraham was one that everyone would receive God's presence in them. And it's only because of God's compassion and grace that he chooses to dwell in us like human beings. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to earn or receive the Spirit in our lives. Imagine you've just received an inheritance from a family member. You might receive property or money or other assets, and it's usually of a significant amount. It might feel a bit strange when you receive that gift, because there's absolutely nothing you've done to earn or deserve it. It's all your family member that's done that. The only thing that you might have done is actually by being a family member itself. And even that you don't really have any control over. It would be really strange if you went to your grandparent and said, tell me what I need to do to, be, to earn your inheritance. Please just keep the money aside until I've done enough to receive it. It just doesn't work like that. You are part of the family because they love you and they'll give you that inheritance because of that. And it's the same with what we learn here in our passage. You are part... Yeah. The only thing you need to do is to accept God's invitation to be part of his family. And if we faithfully put our trust in him, he has promised to give us his spirit, and we can be certain he will. It is through faith that the Spirit comes and in which we live our lives. I wonder if you know this. Do you understand that God has actually already put his Spirit in you? And all that you need to do is to humbly come to him like a child and trust him. What a marvellous blessing that is. There's nothing more that we need to do but to simply come to God with trust and have faith. The way we start the Christian walk is the way we finish it, by believing the gospel we first heard and having faith in the one who saved us. Come humbly and accept God's Holy Spirit and allow him to work in your life. 
So it's by faith that we're saved, and the Spirit comes into our lives and transforms us in accordance to God's will. But there is a key detail that we've missed so far that we also need to understand. It is only because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ that the Spirit comes inside our hearts. Paul mentions this in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. As we've already established, it's not through the law that someone is made righteous. This is only by faith. If you rely on the law or any other reason for God to save you, then the law will not be enough. There is most certainly one rule that you've broken. And even if you could live the law perfectly, the law would be powerless to save. But here it also mentions that those who don't continue to do what is outlined in the law, they are cursed. What Paul wants to, what does Paul actually mean by everyone is cursed? Now surely he's actually been saying that we're not supposed to be following the law. He quotes from the law itself, and to make that to make that point that everyone is cursed. So let's go check that out. If you've got your Bibles, flip back to the Old Testament to Deuteronomy. And then go to the last verse in Deuteronomy 27. Here it says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. Now there's a bunch of other curses in the 11 verses before that. And as we can see here, it's completely impossible to obey any of those Perfectly, even if we tried. This means that every single person on earth is cursed. Now, we should note here that he's not saying it is sinful for, to do some of those things, and many of those laws are actually good, and we should follow them. But what he's trying to make clear right here is that we now have a problem because we're all cursed. Because we, can't fail, we, all, we all fail, and we can't obey what the law demands. But this is where the good news of verse 13 comes in. Turn back to our passage in Galatians. Christ is redeemed from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What a great truth that is. Christ became the curse we deserved, and in doing so, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Without Jesus in the picture, nothing makes sense. The Spirit is unable to live in sinful human beings without something happening in us to make us clean. God's presence previously dwelt on earth in the temple, and regulations and precautions had to be made to ensure it was holy and perfect. So as for God as the Spirit to live in us, we also need to become like that temple, holy and blameless in the sight of him. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. For all who have faith, he has atoned for our sin by becoming a curse, reconciling us to the Father so that we're no longer his enemy. It's like a peasant who lives on the outskirts of a kingdom. 
Their living conditions are poor and they live in a slum. They completely despise the king and all that he does. So much so that the peasant frequently steals from that king. And the king has already said in that kingdom that the penalty for that kind of crime is death. Now imagine that king decides to visit that peasant and instead of executing them when he comes to his home, he actually starts to live in their home. And he doesn't just live in their home, they start to renovate it and completely turn it into a new home just like their own castle. The king has now come to live at home in our hearts. This is why Christ needed to come. As it says in verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Without Christ redeeming and saving us, it is impossible for the Spirit to live in us. When Jesus hung on that cross, he didn't just defeat sin, justify us before the Father, allowing us to approach him, but he also provided a way for us to be sanctified and live the way he wants, in a way that the law could never do. God had a plan and knew that the law was only temporary. All that the law did was a guide that condemned and revealed what sin was. It had no power to actually deal and atone for sin. And that's why Jesus has fulfilled the law and made a way for sinners to have faith and receive his spirit. So how is it that we receive the Spirit and continue to grow in the Christian life? As we've heard, it is only through the gospel. We need to have a humble and repentant faith in Jesus Christ who redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the Spirit can come into our lives and transform us so we can live for his glory. It's not through our attempts to do good or helping the poor, coming to church every Sunday, reading lots of different theology books, or anything else. Although we can do those things, and we probably should, is only because Christ has fulfilled the law that we're no longer obliged to keep following it, because those things are completely powerless to save us from our sin. So what does this mean in our everyday-to-day lives? Here's an example. Maybe there is someone in your workplace that you just can't get along with. They constantly do small little things to annoy you, and they might even make comments behind your back. But over time, because of those things, you start to notice hatred dwelling up in your heart towards this person. So what do you do about that as a Christian? Now, do you go to your Bible and search up all the different passages about loving your neighbor? Or do you come to church and then decide to get on a few different rosters, hoping that will teach you how to serve others better? Or do you come to God in prayer, recognizing what Christ has done, confessing your hatred towards this person, and asking for the Holy Spirit to come into your heart with a heart that is patient and full of peace and love? This is what we need to do. We need to continue to come to God each and every day with nothing in our hands, 
fully dependent on what Christ has done, confessing our sin, asking for the Spirit to enter our lives so that we can live for him. This is how we grow in the Christian life, by the powerful, sufficient work of the Spirit. Please join with me in prayer. Father, thank you for these words of truth that you've brought to us now. Thank you that you have given us your Spirit because of what Christ has done, allowing us to know how to live for you. Help us to walk in step with your Spirit that you've given us, not to grieve it, but to seek it effectively so that you would work in our lives for the sake of your glory. We pray that you would continue to do this and remind us of this every single day of our lives until you bring us back or Christ returns. We pray this in your name. Amen.